Well, Lord, we do ask that you would hear our prayer uh, this morning. Uh, we thank you for revealing yourself to us uh, by the power of your spirit in the pages of Scripture. We come before you again this day because uh, we want to and more so need to see Jesus. And so we ask that you would now open your word to us and us to your word. Amen. Psalm 127, uh, verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of God. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For God gives to his beloved sleep. And this is God's word. Well, today we're going to look at these two verses in, in two parts, really two gifts. Okay, the, the gift of work and the gift of rest. Uh, work and rest. And so we begin with the gift of work. Now, when I, when I think about work, I can't help but think about my first real summer job, a job that I held during the summer months, the, the end of my high school days and into my first year of college. And I worked on the loading docks of a mattress manufacturing company uh, with the shipping and receiving crew. And so I was working long, hard hours in the oppressive, hot, humid Georgia weather. And I remember one day when one of the guys that I worked with, he, he found out something that, that I tried to keep quiet, that I, I tried to hide from the other guys. He found out that my dad owned the company. And when he heard someone else mention that, he turned and he looked at me and he said, Camper, what in the world are you doing working back here? It is hot and humid. This is hard, miserable work. What is your dad trying to do? Is he trying to teach you the value of a dollar? Because you know they got books on that. <laughs> you tell your dad to get you a book and you can go read it in the air-conditioned front office. Now, I laughed with him because I knew that wasn't going to happen. And the reason I knew that is because in the end, it wasn't so much about me learning the value of a dollar, but more so about me learning the value of work. Well, so that then begs the question, what is work? Well, work is much bigger than a job. Of course, it includes that, but it's actually much bigger, much bigger than a paid position of regular employment. Uh, despite our culture's narrow definition of work as only that which we're paid to do, uh, work includes any positive, productive activity. And so a broader defini uh, definition of work from, from a biblical perspective uh, is given by John Stott, who writes this. Work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, 
blessing to the community and glory to God. Work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, blessing to the community and glory to God. Okay, so jobs can definitely fit within that scope, for sure. But also included would be the work of volunteers at churches, schools, hospitals, uh, the work of parents, uh, changing diapers, preparing meals, uh, running errands, the work of the homeless, uh, recycling a cart of aluminum cans, uh, the work of students studying at school. And the work can be difficult and frustrating at times, for sure. Uh, if we want to begin to understand the fullness of work and what it's meant to be, then Psalm 127 is a great place to be. So take a look, verse 1. Because what we see there is that the assertion of verse 1 is that God works. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord watches over the city. And this phrase, unless the Lord, it presupposes that our God works. He builds and he watches over. As Eugene Peterson notes, the Bible begins with the announcement, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. Not sat majestic in the heavens. Not was filled with beauty and love. It says he created. He did something. He made something. He fashioned heaven and earth. The week of creation was a week of work. And therefore, work has dignity and purpose. And work also precedes the fall. You see, people created in God's image, you, me, we, we are to work and thus to reflect God's character. Now, here's an important distinction to make. Okay, we are to engage in work with God. Not without God. And not simply for God either. But rather with God. Work as it's meant to be is always done with Him. As the psalmist says, unless the Lord. Okay, and the, and the clear implication there is this. If the Lord is building the house, then the people aren't building in vain. Okay, if the Lord is not building the house, then the people are building in vain. But if the people are dependent on the Lord working with him, then their labor will be fruitful. Doesn't always mean it's perfect. In fact, it won't be, but it will be fruitful. Okay, so as you, as you may know, we're, we're in the midst of the NBA playoffs, actually about to transition into the finals uh, after tonight's game. Uh, some of the, the, the headliner names so far have been uh, Steph Curry, uh, Luka Doncic, uh, Jason Tatum. Uh, recent years, it's been uh, LeBron James, Kevin Durant. My growing up years, Michael Jordan. That's right, MJ. 
the greatest of all time, right? The GOAT. Now, this summer, let's just imagine that I go play some two-on-two basketball uh, at the playground in my neighborhood. There's a basketball court there. Uh, kids go over to play. My son, Ty, he's almost 12. He goes. Some of his friends will be there. And let's say that I go to join these kids to play a little uh, pickup b-ball, two-on-two. Now, I want you to also imagine that one day I get paired up with MJ. In his prime, of course. I mean, I'd take him now, but let's just say in his prime. I mean, dude, we would dominate. Ty, I'm sorry, you wouldn't have a chance. We would clean up, and I'd be glad to defer to MJ over and over. But I mean, you know, these kids would not stand a chance against us. I mean, if I'm playing with Michael, I'm going to win no matter what. Okay, in other words, if MJ plays the game, then Camper doesn't play in vain. Thank you. I'm glad you got my cheesy uh, humor there. Because actually that's the point that this part of the psalm is making. If the Lord is playing the game, then we aren't playing in vain. If the Lord is building the house, if the Lord is watching over the city, then we aren't building, we aren't watching over in vain. If we are dependent on the Lord, working with Him, then our labor will be fruitful. But here's the problem. Our problem is this. Our work goes wrong when we lose touch with the God who works. Our work goes wrong when God is not central in our work. When it's not about Him, but it becomes about us when we become the center of what we're doing. When we become the center of our work, then ultimately it is in vain. That's what we're reading here. In fact, look at this. Just two verses in the psalmist three times uses the word vain, meaning empty, purposeless. When our work is about us, self-centered, when, when we're self-reliant, then we're acting as if we are God, building our own little kingdom, and it's ultimately in vain. When we rise up early and go late to rest, day after day after day after day, then we have become the center of our lives, acting as if we are God. Now, I want to be very clear about something before I move on. Okay, this does not mean that there aren't seasons of long days and short nights. Because there definitely are. But the question, the bigger question is, is that your norm? Is that really what you live for? Is that your MO? So I remember years ago getting to know uh, a young CEO of a, of a startup company. He was in his uh, late 30s, uh, was doing very well. Everything he touched seemed to turn to gold, and he made a lot of money. And he worked long, long hours every day. Seemed like he was working 24-7, at least close to it, day after day after day. He would rise up early and go late to rest. And I remember when his second child was born. And he, he had a great team at that point. Uh, with, with his new company, and he had a friend of his who pulled him aside and encouraged him. 
said, hey, you, you got a good team. Just leave the business to them for the next week, 10 days. Like, go home. Be with your wife. Be with your new baby. And this is his reply. I'm all ready with my baby. This company is my new baby. He'd become the center of his life. Acting as if he were God, everything else around him was centered on feeding that in him. Uh, yes, there was, there was food on the table, definitely. Clothes uh, to wear, but he was overly stressed, uh, hurtful to others, especially his family. And, and getting to know him, he was generally uh, lost and empty. Because you see, apart from God, our work ends up becoming anxious toil. As biblical scholar Derek Kidner puts it, verse 2 underlines the fact that to work still harder is no answer at all. In fact, that can be a fresh enslavement. It's not simply that our projects will fail. There is at least bread to show for them, but that they lead nowhere. In terms of verse 1, the house and city may survive but were they worth building in the first place? And so is, is, is the focus of your life getting to the top? In, in whatever work you're involved in, is it, is it getting to the top? Wanting others to, to see you, trying to convince others, including yourself, that you matter? Are, are you constantly climbing the ladder of success? However you define success. Well, what happens when you finally get to the top and discover that the ladder is leaning against the wrong building? Again, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Okay, so then what, what do we do? I mean, do we simply not work hard? No, that, that would actually be to miss the point of what the psalmist is getting at here. Again, we were created to work. But again, our work goes wrong when we lose touch with the God who works. Uh, Peterson continues. Work goes wrong both when we work anxiously and when we don't work at all. When we become frantic and compulsive in our work and when we become indolent and lethargic in our work. The foundational truth is that work is good. It's not some necessary evil that we've got to do to get to things that we want and we need. If God does it, then it must be good. And therefore, it has purpose and dignity. Again, it's a good gift from God. And even in a fallen, broken world, where work can often be difficult and frustrating, it can also be enjoyed as intended when God is at the center of it. So how? How then do we keep God at the center of our work? Well, that leads to our other point, uh, which is the other gift. The gift of rest. 
So let's talk about the gift of rest. One of the things that the psalmist is getting at is that without rest, our labor becomes anxious toil. And and then it's in vain, ultimately. The psalmist sees relentless, compulsive work habits, which our society rewards and and admires. Uh, He sees them as being a sign of weak faith. Assertive pride, relentless insecurity. As if God could not be trusted. As if he could not be trusted to accomplish his will. As if he could not be trusted to to build and watch over our lives. And as if we are in control of our lives. The world around us. And through our own effort. And that's why we're given rest as a gift. A gift to be opened and enjoyed, and in it, to discover, to be reminded that someone else is in control and is working all things for good. Okay, so I've mentioned uh, Eugene Peterson a couple of times already, and uh, along with with a few others like uh, J.I. Packer, he was uh, one of the, the professors at my seminary that we referred to as the celebrity professors, uh, which basically meant that they got quoted all the time. And and one of the more challenging Peterson quotes uh, that I heard uh, is this. The person who is unable to rest one full day each week takes themselves far too seriously. The person who is unable to rest one full day each week takes themselves far too seriously. I didn't really like that quote when I heard it. I was a grad student, and I wasn't taking off any days during the week. I might take off little bits of time here and there, but I was basically studying every day, seven days a week. But I was, I was convicted. I was challenged. I began to realize that what I was doing is I was living as if it were all up to me, as if it were about me, and that God couldn't be trusted, wasn't seated on the throne, had no idea what he was doing. And then I remember uh, another friend challenged me. He said, Camper, do you trust God enough to take off four blocks of time in a row each week? Can you stop working, including homework, and rest by taking off four blocks of time in a row? Now, I've I've referenced this before, and if you don't... uh, remember what I mean. This this is what my friend meant. So if you think of our waking hours in terms of blocks, okay, then we've got morning, afternoon, and evening. And so can you take all four of those blocks in a row? Doesn't matter where you start. Can you do it? Can you trust God with it? And so for many, that might be Saturday evening, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and back to work on Monday. Uh, For pastors, for many pastors, and this is what Dennis and I try to do, it would be taking off Sunday evening, Monday morning, Monday afternoon, Monday evening, and back to work on Tuesday. Do I trust God enough to really rest? To rest in Him and His gift of rest? 
Again, the person who is unable to rest one full day each week takes themselves far too seriously and doesn't take God seriously enough. Now, again, again, I want to be clear. There are times when rest is very hard to come by. We live in a fallen, broken world. And rest is very hard to come by. I mean, you can think of frontline workers during the pandemic. Uh, You can think about the military that we just uh, heard about a little while ago. There are times when, because we live in a fallen, broken world, rest is very hard to come by. But friends, we weren't created to overwork day after day after day. So there's, there's a Japanese word uh, that speaks very well to the problem of overwork and thus to our need for rest. And the word is this, karoshi. Karoshi. Uh, ka, meaning too much. Ro, meaning work. Shi, meaning death. Karoshi. Too much work, death. Or Death from overwork. In fact, back in 1987, the Japanese Ministry of Labor began keeping a statistic on this and listing it as a cause of death. And so right alongside uh, cancer, cardiac arrest, and, and, and what have you, the cause of death may be listed as karoshi. Because you see, while we were created for work, we also weren't, we, we were, but while we were created to work, we were also created for rest. So take a look at the very end of verse 2. The end of verse 2. For God gives to his beloved sleep. God gives sleep to his beloved children. Sleep. Friends, it's a gift. It's a wonderful gift. God gives rest to us as his beloved children so that we we, we can be reminded we don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, but can rather trust God as we work with him and rest in him. You see, rest is a sign of great trust, an expression of deep faith. So I was talking to somebody last week about the first car that I had. I was 16 years old, and uh, in my first car, it was an old, well-loved 1976 Buick Electra, a two-door limited coupe. Now, friends, if you are unfamiliar with that type of car, it was a beast, okay? Close to 5,000 pounds of a beast. Now, by comparison... That was my two-door car when I was 16. If you are driving a two-door Honda Accord, then your car weighs about 1,200 pounds. So mine weighed about four times that, which meant it had a really big engine to to, to haul around all that steel. So it had a a huge engine, a 455 V8 under the hood, uh, which also meant that it had a little get up and go, which I was fine with that. Now, talk about a beautiful car. You need to go look it up on the internet afterwards. It's the Buick Electra, two-door, limited coupe, 1976. 
beautiful, long, sleek car. Mine was white with maroon leather interior. Oh yeah, it was nice. It also came fully loaded. It had, what the, the person that had originally bought it had gotten, gotten it with all the bells and whistles. And so one of the bells and whistles was located near the speedometer. I had to go look up what this was called the other day, and that'll become clear why in a minute, uh, because it was, it was known as the speed alert. Okay, and the speed alert basically worked like this. It was a dial up near the speedometer, and you could just turn the dial and select a speed that you wanted to set it on. Uh, let, let's just say, uh, for illustrative purposes, you set it at 55 miles per hour. Now, what that means is that when your speed approaches 55, it begins to make this irritating buzz. That's the alert. Now, for full transparency, I did not make use of that option on my car. <laughs> That's why I had to go look, at, look up what it was called the other day. I barely remembered that it was there. But had I used it, now it would have definitely saved me uh, a few times, and that I would have appreciated. But if I had used it on a regular basis, what it would have done is it would have alerted me to my need to slow down. Okay, now I want you to think about it like that for just a moment. If you think of it like that, then anxious toil is putting the pedal to the metal, driving as fast as you can as if it is all up to you. And then rest. Rest is the proper response to the speed alert of God's word. You see, rest is taking your foot off the pedal, slowing down, gaining perspective in realizing that you can rely on a God who provides for every need. He's the one truly behind the wheel. In fact, rest is faith in action. Rest is faith in action. I mean, how's that for a paradox? Okay, it's faith in action because it reflects dependence on God. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, I was talking to somebody before the service. We were talking about how rest sometimes is really hard. Faith isn't always easy. Neither is rest. But it is necessary. We desperately need it, and God graciously gives it to us. But the question is, will we receive the gift? Will you open and enjoy it? For God gives to his beloved sleep. Well, let me wrap up with this. And for those of you who love Reformed theology to articulate things in terms of Reformed theology, I think you're going to appreciate uh, this perspective as put by Pastor and Professor Paul Stevens, who writes this. Justification by grace through faith leads to justification expressed in sleep. Resting in Christ's finished work on the cross Resting in God's sovereign care over all things. Resting in the Spirit's ongoing creative restorative ministry. Yes, failure to sleep may at times have physiological causes. But so often, 
Insomnia has its roots in one's theology. So the gift is rest in the Lord. And in that sense, the gospel of Jesus literally puts a person to sleep. That's good news, friends. That is good news. Again, while we were created to work, we were also created for rest. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For God gives to his beloved sleep. And toward that end, Jesus says to you and to me, Come, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, uh, we do come. To you now, we we give you thanks uh, that we were created uh, both to work with you and to rest in you through faith. We ask now that you would help us to trust you more, that we might do so in such a way that, that blesses others and brings you glory as we enjoy you, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.